Hello and welcome to Bang Up Jobs with Broadway Ergonomics, a podcast hosted by me, Adam Jennings. And me, Eric Schultz. We're physical therapists and professional ergonomists. In each episode, we interview experts, assess the real value of ergonomic tools and products, and hopefully provide a little know-how along the way. In today's episode, Early Intervention Programs. Hey, Eric, how's it going? Hey, Adam, it's going very well today. How about yourself? Yeah, doing okay. It's been a little while since we last recorded. Sorry, folks, for those of you on pins and needles the past couple of months. We know there's a bunch of you on pins and needles. <laughs> we can tell. <laughs> the You can cut the tension with a, a butter knife, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's been a little bit, and a lot has uh, happened uh, in that time. Eric, what's been going on with you lately? It's been a bit, hasn't it? Yeah. And by a bit, man, we mean well before the holidays. This was, I think our last recording was even before Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's a couple months ago. Yeah, I had a great Thanksgiving with my family. Um, you know, it was kind of a little bit smaller than normal. We cooked a turkey and had uh, just the immediate family over, nothing extended, just to try to keep exposures down with all the CDC recommendations and everything going on with uh, the COVID. Um, not too long, it was a couple days after uh, Thanksgiving, my wife and I, we actually tested ourselves for COVID and we tested negative. So we hopped on a plane to Hawaii to celebrate our 10 year anniversary and we had a great time. It was safe, well distanced. Everybody had masks on. And so had a nice little break. I needed a reprieve from some of the work and the holidays. So that was great. Otherwise, not too much has been going on with myself and my family. Been surviving the virtual school. Uh, Brett, Derek, the other owner of Broadway Ergonomics, and myself, we got our first round of the vaccination for COVID-19. And to be honest, it went really well for us. You know, I had no symptoms. I didn't even have any soreness as I typically would with the flu vaccine. Um, It's really cool. They do this thing. It's called the V-Safe. And they check in daily with uh, just a simple text. And you go through a questionnaire about your symptoms. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So it was actually kind of reassuring, too. And, you know, they had a disclaimer on there that if you reported certain signs or symptoms post-vaccination that the CDC would contact you. So part of me wanted to see if they would really contact me, but (laughs) at the same time, I was symptom-free and had no uh, adverse issues or reactions to it. In fact, I'll be eligible to get my second dose and my final dose of it here in the next, I think, next week. Um, So otherwise, that's about it for us. Yeah, we've just, um, you know, trying to stay healthy, trying to keep our mental health going, exercising quite a bit with the new year, new goals. Overall, 2021's off to a pretty decent start, you know. Good. Well, I'm happy to hear it. How about you, Adam? What, what's going on in your life? Yeah. Well, while you were having fun in Hawaii and getting the vaccine, uh, my whole family got COVID. So that was my holiday season. Now we're actually fine. Uh, we spent about two weeks having pretty nasty GI issues and headaches, uh, but luckily didn't get hit by any of the respiratory stuff. None of us were hospitalized. We had one scary day where uh, my wife had a pretty severe migraine. But beyond that, we made it through and don't seem to have much in the way of lingering symptoms. Um, other than regret that uh, it happened in the first place. Uh, one member of our pod was pre-symptomatic, and I'm not going to point fingers or name names. But, <laughs> Is it a touchy subject at home? No, n- not at all. You know, it's, no, nobody could have done anything differently. You know, We've been adhering to uh, guidelines and maintaining a pretty small pod with just our immediate family. And uh, one person went to the doctor's office and was exposed and was pre-symptomatic before exposing the rest of us. So, well, you know, in today's day and age, it's it's happening. You know, it, it, I feel like the longer we've gone, the more we're kind of getting back into a corner of just exposure. And it's you know, we've probably even yeah. been exposed. You know, being in healthcare, and that's one reason why we were able yeah. to get the first dose of the vaccine was because we're patient facing and. 
Yeah, well, you know, that was the most frustrating part is that we were eligible to uh, get the vaccine one week after we developed symptoms. We were alerted that uh, with the, we were up on the list. So that was really bad timing. But uh, yeah, and just uh, something that I learned, um, because uh, exposure to COVID has the potential to obviate or, re- uh, in other words, reduce the efficacy of the, the vaccine. Uh, there's a lot of conflicting information out there about, you know, should you get a vaccine immediately or should you wait? Um, what I'm seeing is the general consensus is that you should wait just a little while if you've already had COVID before getting the vaccine to make sure that uh, uh, the efficacy is is there, that you get the, the uh, right level of immune response. Uh, but uh, we were waiting until March uh, to go ahead and get the vaccine. So. And I wish I was yeah. smart enough to really dive into the the lab geek in me on that, but I, I do, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Cause before we got our vaccination, we had to answer a series of questions. And one of them was, have you recently had, right. or, you know, um, battled COVID-19? And I think it's because they need a certain amount of delay between when you had it. And then when you're actually going to have benefit from the vaccination. Yeah. I don't think that it's concrete on whether or not it does reduce the efficacy. I think the concern is there. I think what they're primarily thinking is that that group of people who have been recently exposed within the past 60 to 90 days, whatever it is, um, uh, are likely have some natural immunity. And because uh, vaccines are in short supply, they want to reserve them for people who have not been exposed and survived it. So but uh, that's neither here nor there. We are here to uh, talk about early intervention programs in uh, the world of ergonomics. Eric, did you want to kick us off? Yeah. So early intervention is uh, one of our wheelhouses. It's one of our main services that we do. But before we jump into that, I'm going to throw a little curveball here off the cuff for us, Adam. Oh, sure. To understand why early intervention is even important, we need to actually go back and look at what work injuries actually will cost a company. So here's some stats for you. Okay. And I'm going to give you some stats from 2018. The reason for that is work injury claims, they mature over time. So mm-hmm. think about it. If somebody tears a rotator cuff in 2018, the longevity in the overall claim is not going to be fulfilled and complete immediately. So there's no single direct cost that says, okay, rotator cuff in 2018, we know that's 50 grand, right? And I'm just throwing that as a sure. easy number to reference. But what happens is the longer that has to maybe be drawn out is that claim is going to mature over time. So it's really difficult to get an accurate snapshot in that year specifically of what the overall cost and impact is on that value of that year. So when we look at injury data and injury costs, it's usually about two years delayed. And the purpose of that is it takes that long for these claims to mature for the Department of Labor to actually look back at these and and put statistics to this. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. The injury trends here, and this is from injuryfacts.nsc.org. The cost in 2018, Adam, if you had to guess what the overall cost of work injuries uh, was in 2018, what would you guess? Uh, in the United States? Um, good question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing it's a, I'm guessing it's restricted to the U.S. Uh, I, 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 I have to think so, yeah. Uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $6 billion? $6 billion. You may be undershooting it just a little bit. The total in 2018 was $170.8 Holy cow. Okay, wow. That equates to around $1,100 per worker. And I'm not talking about per injured worker. I'm talking about per worker. Mm-hmm. If there's a death, the average work comp cost, claim, settlement, all that comes to $1.19 million. And here's a stat that is probably a little bit more important to us, one that we will look into a little bit more. 
the average cost in 2018 of any medically consulted injury on average comes to $41,000. Yeah, that sounds right too. The reason I bring that up, we're in the business and the the safety goal of reducing injuries. So every injury that we can reduce, hopefully we save a company around 41 grand. You know, mm. that's quite significant. So if we can have any impact on employees and keeping them at work and reducing the need for unnecessary interventions such as needles, injections, surgery, time away, uh, the the cost savings for these companies can be huge. Sure, and that's why we charge about twenty thousand dollars per employee that we help, right? <laughs> no, we we don't do that. But you know, certainly, and actually, this is interesting that we're on this topic because it's January right now. We're recording January in two thousand twenty-one here, and at the end of each year, we go back and we look at injury data and trends from our early intervention program, and we're able to look and identify how many cases we worked with that could potentially have been a sprain or a strain. Now, I know the I just threw out the 41 grand as per medically consulted injury. It, it differs. You know, there's some more severe and some less severe. Totally makes sense. So a sprain and strain direct cost is usually around 15 grand with the indirect escalated up to over 30 grand. Hmm. So those are usually some of the metrics that we look. So say we worked with 10 employees and none of them had to go in for additional medical consults, surgery, interventions. In theory, you can extrapolate that out and come up with a cost savings for the program, which is pretty powerful. Oh, sure. And I'm sure that uh, in, in industries where people are performing more manual labor, that, that potentially increases even more so. I think what can get lost sometimes on the part of the safety manager is that long-term cost of even a mild injury. Sure, it might not cost 40 k to treat a person for a sprained wrist, but there's a ripple effect that moves downstream that ultimately results in a much larger financial impact. So yeah, what you're referring to there is direct cost versus indirect cost. The reference for those vary, but typically on average, for every dollar of direct cost, which would be the medical consult, uh, surgical intervention, the cost of the medication, anything along those lines, that's directly, that's what the company sees immediately at that time. The indirect costs are the insurance premiums going up costs behind the scenes, delayed, matured, you know, settlements and so forth. So depending on your reference for that, it's anywhere from for every dollar directly spent is anywhere from four to even up to $16 of indirect costs. Bingo. But an injury prevention program is important. You know, just the overall cost of it. 41 grand per medically consulted injury. So every injury that we can, or every case that develops that we can prevent from going into the work comp system, in theory, has the potential to save up to around $41,000. Well, speaking of uh, introducing ergonomics into uh, your programs to help save a little bit of money, early interventions. So this is something that I do quite a bit uh, in my work with Broadway Ergonomics. Uh, Early intervention is grounded in this understanding that early identification, rapid solutions, and active support lead to a number of potential benefits, things like uh, reduced chronicity and severity of musculoskeletal disorders, um, all of the outcomes that uh, come out of an early intervention program can be achieved through on-site support and early reporting practices. Now, organizations across the country utilize various strategies to mitigate the risk of workplace injuries and illnesses, uh, along with the costs connected to such injuries. And a growing focus for many businesses Uh, is the prevention of workplace injuries and illnesses. Absolutely, prevention. We just talked about the cost. I mean, that's enough to incentivize prevention right there is if we can, you know, reduce our bottom line and 
prevent these injuries from occurring. We're going to save money. And then that's a win-win for everybody. The employees get better benefits. They get better pay. Um, and then the company is profitable, you know, on a, on a positive side. Yeah. So uh, we break the very services that we provide uh, to clients into a number of different legs of our business structure. Did you want to talk a bit about our philosophy and, and how that's broken down? Yeah. So when we're talking about injury prevention, there's really kind of two aspects or two avenues. The first one is early intervention, which is where an employee that is experiencing any kind of discomfort or musculoskeletal ache and pain, sign or symptom, they need someone to talk to. Typically, we want them to be a healthcare professional to talk to because, you know, why not? You know, that's our wheelhouse. That's what we're credentialed and licensed in. Philosophy number one is employees that are experiencing discomfort, they need somebody to talk to. There's many benefits to that, not just early reporting, but also reassurance, helping the employee understand what's going on. We like to be part of this as a third party just because employees sometimes feel a negative consequence might happen if they report or discuss or divulge information to their superior or their maybe their supervisor. Um, so being healthcare providers on site, that is a key aspect for us. So we want to be there to talk to anybody in need. The other aspect or the other component to our philosophy is that ergonomic and work factors, which are identified, you know, things that we've covered in the past, those big three principal risk factors, force, posture, repetition, right? Those need to be identified and corrected if they are causing issues to the employees. This goes hand in hand with ergonomics. So between these two, this is really where you can see a reduction in injuries, a reduction in claims and the costs that are associated with uh, the workplace musculoskeletal disorders. In addition to it, it really promotes a positive work environment and, and fosters that positive safety culture. So now that we've outlined the philosophy, the early intervention and ergonomics and how they together can promote that positive work environment and safety culture, Adam, how do we go about accomplishing this? What is our emphasis? Yeah, so what we do is uh, emphasize early reporting, uh, things like soreness, discomfort, fatigue. And we try to hit those things before they develop into more serious conditions. The early intervention program, we have a little trendy saying here, we address aches before they become pains and stress before they become strains. Uh, so aches before pain, stress before strains. Now, the primary focus of the EI program is the on-site provider, that's us, working one-on-one -on -one with employees. Uh, we try to do things like identify potential uh, MSDs. You remember from previous episodes, MSDs are those musculoskeletal disorders. Uh, we try to create a plan to improve the comfort of that employee and keep them working effectively uh, until they get to a point where those, those aches and stresses uh, can be mitigated. And we continue to assess uh, current work factors, those things that are contributing to the underlying problem. Um, and I think we can probably provide a link to this handy little graphic, Eric, that ergo risk factor leading to an MSD. Yeah, we sure can. Think we can do that, maybe. Yep. Awesome. So we'll, we'll include a link in the show notes so we can, we can wrangle that out. But we've got a nifty little graphic that shows how uh, ergo risk factors and individual work factors combine to lead to the development of an MSD. Eric, actually, maybe you could probably do a better job of painting a word picture here of what what they'll see. Yeah. So basically it goes back to that philosophy of how and what can contribute to the onset and the increased risk of developing an MSD. And there's two categories of factors. One, be it those individual risk factors. So talking about poor work practices, what are, how are the employees working in the work site that might increase their specific risk for injury? 
Also, there are other personal factors such as fitness levels, health habits, diet, nutrition. Are they smokers? Do they have other health concerns such as diabetes or thyroid issues that are going to put their body up for risk to certain workplace musculoskeletal disorders? On the other side of that, there's the ergonomic risk factors, which we've covered in our previous podcasts. If you haven't listened to those yet, pause this. Go back and listen to those about the ergonomic risk factors. Those would be force, so heavy lifting, pushing, pulling. Then there's repetition, which is your body repeating a task or positions over and over again. And then posture, which is typically either static or awkward. And the further you get away from the neutral position of the body, the more impact the posture is going to have on your musculoskeletal system. So those two factors together, when combined, put your body at risk, depending on what factors are at play there. And that's where the early intervention program comes in. We can not only assess and look at the ergonomic risk factors and try to help the company reduce those through sound ergonomic design or other ergonomic and engineering type controls, but also we look at those individual risk factors and how can we work with employee uh, that, that is developing these issues not just after an injury, but also before an injury is actually developed. And uh, if we can handle all those internally, that's when we prevent these type of issues. Yeah. And one of the reasons we put so much emphasis into the ergonomic risk factors, the individual risk factors are very important. They do contribute to the uh, potential development of MSD. Uh, but those ergo risk factors are those things that you'll find every single employee working at the site potentially butting up against and are... Uh, uh, much more likely to develop issues for everybody working on the floor. I think it's something like there's a 20 to 30% reduction in uh, the incidence of MSDs relative to controls made for individual risk factors when you focus on ergo risk you know, when the controls are made to like the workstation. So we try to emphasize correcting the workstation, not correcting the worker because the, the, the p- potential impact is so much better. We can teach people to stand up straight all day long, but it just doesn't have the same impact. You, I can tell you want to say something. No, I think what you said is perfect. You know, as PTs and, and healthcare experts, we can always work with the person and try to rehab them and, and in a way patch them back together. However, as we've discussed in our previous podcasts, specifically the ones on the ergonomic controls, the most effective solution is always looking at how do we eliminate or modify the risk from a design standpoint. So that's where we want to fit the work to the right. worker instead of fitting the worker to the work. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, early intervention programs have a ton of benefits. Um, we've got a little list here, Eric. Do you want to round robin it? Sure. I can start off and you can go next. So number one, identification of injuries before they become chronic or severe. Documented reduction in workers' compensation costs, which we've talked a lot about this episode. Yep. The overall impact of it, it can be can be just ginormous for companies. <laughs> Technical term there, ginormous. Uh, number ginormous. three, decreased OSHA recordables. Obviously something that uh, any safety manager wants to minimize as much as possible. Yep. Number four is improved worker comfort. And this one is extremely important. A comfortable worker provides good quality work and efficient work. Yeah, and which leads right into number five, improved worker productivity. A more comfortable worker and a more efficient worker is able to do their job better and more efficiently. Yeah, number six, uh, with early intervention programs, you get expert screening of these MSD signs and symptoms. We are the healthcare providers, so we can actually give insight, understand what's going on. PTs, we have a lot of background now in differential diagnosis, 
So if an employee brings us a sign and symptom, we can usually put on our differential diagnosis hat, screen, do an assessment, and come up with a good understanding of what is really going on. Are they available for early intervention program? Do they need immediate health care or uh, medical interaction? Or is this something that they need to go to see their own physician for? A lot of benefits to an expert screening. Number eight, uh, improved employee satisfaction. I can't tell you the number of times that I've gone up to a group of people working on an assembly line or something and <laughs> explain who I am and why I'm there and just see that smile go across their face. Like they're like, they do that. They give that to us here. Oh, that's awesome. And people just start to open up and talk about, oh, you know, my shoulder's been bugging me. My neck's been bugging me. And it's it's really satisfying. It's really nice to see uh, that uh, that we have an impact and that people appreciate it, that people, people like having us on site. Yeah, these programs are typically highly rated, you know, during annual reviews and stuff. Here's one thing that's not highly rated is your counting ability because you went from six to eight. So I'm going to jump back to seven. Oh, no. Uh, decreased. <laughs> de- <laughs> typically, when a program is up and running and a, a kind of a mature program, you can see a decrease in terms of lost day injuries. These are where those indirect costs really add up. You know, there's one thing for a company to have an injury. It's another thing for it to be a lost time injury where the employee is out. They're out of work, usually recovering from surgery or on such harsh restrictions that they can't come back. So using these programs, typically we can make sure to keep employees there, help with early return to work, and help with accommodations along the way. Yeah, and that leads right into number nine, which is really why I, I skipped the numbers around in the first place. Uh, decreased absenteeism and employee turnover. You know, your your uh, uh, truancy is going to go down if people are, are uh, more comfortable and uh, more excited about coming into the workplace. So how do we put together a program? We, we've talked a lot about all of the great things that an early intervention program can provide to a company. Eric, how do we do that? How, how do we make that happen for them? Well, typically you first have to have, and this is probably one of the most important aspects of, of an effective program is it's driven from management commitment. It's got to be driven from the top down. Typically, you have to identify within your company if, for one, there's a problem. What is your current workers' compensation you know, expected budget? What are your current OSHA recordables? And is there room for improvement? Which most of the time, yes, there is room for improvement. So once there is an identified need, once you get then into some management commitment, then you have to recruit an experienced healthcare provider, preferably one with on-site experience and program knowledge. That's kind of a key one too. It's a different world working in industry than working in the skilled nursing facility or working in our outpatient clinic or the hospital. So having some on-site experience, the program very similar to this, or even just some ergonomics background can go a long, long way. If you or a company is absolutely interested, you can certainly contact us at bangupjobs at broadwayergo.com for more information. We actually run and supervise early intervention programs in 18 different states across the U.S. right now. We're based out of Missouri and Kansas, but our reach is quite far. We're building up a, a pretty nice little network of licensed healthcare providers on site. And so if you have any questions, you know, you can certainly have our ear at any time. If there's anything we can do to help you out along the way, that would be a good starting place for you. Well, before we close out today, Eric, do you have a joke for me? Uh, oh, gosh, do I have a joke for you? Well, I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could tell you a joke about pizza, but it would be pretty cheesy. I thought maybe you might have something. Oh, you know, you just slid a nice little dad joke right in there. I thought that was pretty good. Well, hey, thanks a lot for listening this week. And we will talk to you all next week about, did you already say we're going to talk about workplace stretching? I haven't, but you may. Okay, well, we're going to talk about workplace stretching. So be sure to tune in. As always, be safe. And get a vaccine if you can. Get a vaccine. (laughs) All right, thanks a lot. You can head to broadwayergonomics.com to check out more information about our business and our tips for working safely from home or at the office. 
I want to thank Blue Dot Sessions for the use of our theme music, Highway 430. If you have questions about ergonomics or anything else that you'd like us to answer on the air, shoot us a line at bangupjobs at broadwayergo.com or tweet at broadwayergo.